This is The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair, a podcast hosted by brothers Nate and Brian Lucius, leaders of Gradient Financial Group. Each episode, they'll talk about how they're bullish, how they're bearish, and the chairs they cherish. I'm Tara Renzi, a keynote speaker, entrepreneur, blogger, thought leader, wife, and mother. And I am going to be on the podcast today talking about how we redefine and unleash purpose to create sustainable happiness and success in life. We're going to dig deep into leveraging your emotional intelligence to be who you came to be. Let's get started. Here we go. Welcome back to the Bowl of Bear and my brother's chair. I am Nate Lucius, and of course, joined by my brother, Brian. Brian, how are things going today? You know, things today sit in kind of an interesting place in the economy. My day itself is going good. The overall, uh, how's it going, is uh, definitely interesting in our business and interesting in many people's lives. Yeah, I've got a uh, little uh, tip for you on flying on the airplane. You want to hear it? I'd love, so, I'd love to. So, you know, when you're on an airplane and, and you kind of, the person sitting next to you, I feel within about two, three, four minutes, you can kind of tell, is this person going to want to chat me up or they have headphones on and they're, you know, in their computer? So I've got a tip for you if you're in the, especially if you're in the financial business, but I think this probably relates to other businesses too. You sit down and, you know, it's been a long day, long travel and you just, you don't want to talk to anyone. And, you know, you're taken off, you get into the air and they lean over to you and what do they say? You going for personal or business? Personal or business, <laughs> right? So, hey, you go the personal route, but let's say you go business and they say, what, uh, what do you do for a living? If you want to say, okay, this conversation needs to end shortly. You just tell them, oh, I sell insurance <laughs> and it's over. And you we want to get into a bigger conversation. Oh, I'm in the wealth management business. And then it goes all kinds of places from there. So uh, I sell insurance, meaning they probably thinking I don't want to buy insurance from you. So anyway, there's my tip for you for the day before we I get started. I remember we had a speaker a long time ago and she passed out her book and obviously our business is in the insurance business. And it had a cover wrapper on it on top of her book. And it was a joke cover wrapper. And the cover title of the cover wrapper, the book that looked like you were reading, was called How to Sell Life Insurance on an Airplane. There we I go. That was a pretty, pretty, pretty clever, pretty so clever anyway, tool. If, if you do get into uh, we'll have a discussion here about kind of what's going on in the economy, uh, it's probably the first real economy market uh, interest rate discussion we've had since I know we've talked a lot about you know, some political and where that debate is at. We've talked um, about sports and online advertising. Let's talk about the economy and and what's been going on here since uh, last year to bring everybody up to speed. You know, it was a pretty good year in the stock market, the economy, consumer spending, all of that. The S&P was up somewhere around 30% in 2019. Uh, This year, a bit of a different story as it's retraced roughly 20% from its highs. And so, as the market come has come back, uh, Bilu, why don't you fill us in a little bit on kind of what's been going on out there and what's the major, I guess, scare or um, yeah drawbacks right now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, you know, you, you can't turn on the TV, you can't hear somebody talk, you can't even hear, have basically an office conversation or a friend conversation without hearing the coronavirus or COVID-19 pop up. And you can read all about it and will it, you know, wipe out 60% of the population or is it just more like a common coal? Like that's, that stuff isn't, isn't really, you know, here nor there for this podcast per se, but it certainly has wreaked havoc on uh, market volatility and the overall stock market. And, uh, you know, some, some, a lot of people will ask, well, why does that affect 
the overall global market. And it really boils down to a supply issue that if you have certainly China closing down factories and you have uh, obviously Italy taking some fairly drastic measures to shut things down, keep people in their houses. Uh, you take China, for example, if you were to go to name a store you buy your electronics at, Best Buy, uh, certainly several others out there, if for some reason their supply is shut off of getting those electronics, obviously Best Buy cannot sell them. Obviously they can't hit sales quotas. You look at kind of the trickle down effect of something like that. You also, you know, take another major industry, the cruise ship industry, let's say, which I think I heard the other day is a $50 billion industry. That's a big industry. Yes, cruise ships are what they are, but you think about how many people are employed on a cruise ship, let alone however many are out there sailing in any given day. You take a look at the economic uh, problems that will happen in the port towns. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been to a port town when a cruise ship lets out in them. I certainly have <laughs> in the Bahamas, definitely. <laughs> I would say that the you know that town and certainly that industry around there makes quite a bit of money on cruise ships. You look at all the bars and restaurants that they drop people off in in those places. So you look at just any one particular sector that causes issues in in market volatility and speculation of where things are headed. Yeah, and I would say that the big thing, and most consumers you talk to still are saying, well, I don't understand. Yes, I don't want to get the virus. Every, nobody wants to get that, and that's a big deal. But um, you look at it and say, well, it doesn't really affect me, but but it does, right? If if you work at Best Buy, as you said, and you, you're the TV manager, and you're going to get even 20% or 30% less TVs just because there's a slowdown, that trickles down to your salespeople. You know, we don't have this inventory. We don't have that. They don't sell as many TVs. They might not make as much money. And so it's not like it goes from, you know, a hundred or fifth gear back to first, but it goes from fifth gear back to fourth or back to third. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the consumer goes home there may, or the, uh, the salesperson goes home. They're making a little less money. They're a little concerned about what's going on out there. So maybe they don't go out to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat. You know, they just do a few small things. And if you multiply that by, you know, 100 million consumers in this country that are spending every day a 5% or a 10 or a 15% slowdown that translates that translates to a big number and Best Buy comes out then in their quarterly earnings right that's how stock market works and they say hey things have been good however what we see moving forward is a slowdown of x% percent, 10% percent, 15 and that then scares investors and so anyway it's this trickle effect that really gets things moving and it doesn't take a lot before, you know, the masses get on board. And that's what we've seen is that everybody's on board and everything just has slowed down a bit. And that's, you know, the, the really interesting angle on it too, is you look at the overall economy and, you know, are, are people going out and eating out less? Are they not going to a movie theater because of the, the fear of it is? And I'm not saying that your fear isn't justified or not justified as to getting it and can you cure it and whatever it may be at risk, not at risk that part doesn't matter if if the hysteria of the whole thing starts to affect people and spending then like Nate's saying and and you know you witness that actually if you go to restaurants and places like that I would say that they are not as busy as they were two right. months ago yeah so anyway it's it's that trickle down and what that's also done is if you look at interest rates over the last uh, two years or so you know, people were saying, well, you know, 2% on the 10-year treasury. So the 10 years, kind of the, the bellwether of what we look at in the United States. And 2% was kind of low, right? A two-year, 2% 10-year, it's low. 
all of a sudden it drops to 170 and 150, and then people start coming out and saying, well, what happens if it drops to 1%? Right. 1% 10-year, that's not a lot. And what happens if? Well, over the last few weeks, we've seen it break the 1% and get mm-hmm. as low as 30, was, yeah, or 30 or 34, 30, 40, 40, basis, 40 points. basis points. And so that is, uh, that's tough. And the, so the Fed comes out a few weeks ago, kind of in the, not in a normal cycle and cuts the Fed funds rate by, I think 50 basis points is what they cut it by. And so interest rates are low and there's two sides to interest rates. There's, there's consumers that are savers and consumers that are spenders. And that usually has to do with the stage of life you're in. But if you would, why don't you talk be a little bit about kind of the the uh, saver side of it and, and what that's done for retirees and people that are saving money or in that income phase of their life? Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, and this is kind of a bullish or bearish, you know, what are you bullish or bearish on interest rates? I guess the, the answer to that is it depends on what side you're looking at. If I'm a saver for retirement and the market volatility that we just talked about is a, you know, certainly a fear and I want to get money and investments and all things I've been saving for retirement out of uh, out of the market per se, I'm looking for safe money vehicles, things like annuities, things like CDs, things like uh, bonds. And because interest rates are low, all those rates are severely low. So yes, I can have the, the ability to certainly gain money in the market, but if I can't stomach or don't have the time horizon for the losses that can occur in there, which is just a part of life, it's not good or bad, my flight to safety is so low, I can barely outpace inflation. So that's not a good thing. I'm pretty bearish on interest rates if I'm a saver. Now, what if, in the other hand, Nate, what if you're a, what if you're a spender and on the, on the sometimes the younger side of life? Yeah. And I would just add one comment to that is, you know, everything's relative, right? You've got whether it's CDs or the 10-year or whatever you're looking at, uh, everything's relative. And so you say to yourself, well, man, what if I would have locked in a month ago on a three-year CD at 2%? Doesn't sound very good. However, if you'd have pulled your money a month ago out of the stock market, you look at it and say, well, I might have been down 15 or 20%. So, you know, I think fixed income and fixed vehicles are all uh, appropriate depending upon the stage of your life and the purpose of your money. So th- there's a lot of relativity there, but on the flip side of that, you've got spenders and the majority of our economy and a lot of our economy is run on spending, right? The mm-hmm. reason that they cut rates and the reason that the fed wants rates lower is because lower rates should spur more spending. And if you look at the couple areas, obviously mortgage rates, uh, I looked this morning and I think they're a 30-year is somewhere between 2.9 and 3.2% on a 30-year home loan. That's so pretty solid. You're looking to get a home loan. If you mortgaged, uh, I think it was $250,000 at 4% versus 3% on 250, you save about 150 bucks a month. So yeah. 1800 bucks a year. So that's a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. people are out there now saying if you can afford to buy a home or refinance, that's going to going to help them in their spending years. And certainly, I think also, you know, the interest rates and, you know, obviously home pricing and the housing market is something that people, you know, forecast as we're entering into a bubble again. Home prices are high. People are building all these things, but you get the interest rates low enough again. And I think it will carry the housing market for, for you know, put, a, put quite a bit of an extension on that. So it's all, it's bullish or bearish, you know, depending upon, where you're at in life, but it's also, you got to focus on controlling the things you can control 
you can't really control what the market's going to do, but you can control your own risk tolerance and how you have your money allocated. You can control when you buy a home. You can control if you refinance. You can't control what interest rates are in safe vehicles, but if you got to go there, shoulda, woulda, coulda on three weeks ago, we're here today. And so you have to do what you can do and control things you can control. So with that, Nate, on the overall economy, you know, looking forward, bullish or bearish with this, all this stuff going on, or is this country in the tank or are we going to be all right? I'm going to go with, uh, <laughs> this might not surprise you, but I'm bullish on it. I mean, I, I truly believe we've got the best uh, economy in the world. And I think uh, most people believe that. And so with that said, yeah, we're going to go through things. Yes, the markets run. So I also believe in general, people were looking for what's that thing I can grab onto and the market probably does I don't know about deserve, but it's probably not a shock that it's down, you know, 15, 20% at this time from its highs. So gives you a chance to kind of reset, to relook at what am I doing? Uh, what's out there that might be a good buy right now? There's certainly a lot of really, really good companies for no other reason than there's been a lot of just panic and global slowdown and whatnot that are phenomenal companies that are down 30% or 20 to mm-hmm. five to 35% from their highs paying good dividends, lots of cash flow. And so that's an opportunity to say, can I, can I reinvest or can I average down in some of those um, stocks or some of those positions? You know, and it's kind of funny too, you mentioned the market being up, whatever it was, 28, 30% in 2019, down, let's say it's 20% as we sit here today. What that really means is it was almost exactly where it was at a year ago. Would that be right? That's right. I think I saw this morning that there was a just got back to a 52-week low, so you're kind of we've kind of done nothing in the stock market over the last 52 weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's this mass, you know, chaos mm-hmm. in it. I think it was Mark Cuban had a quote out the other day that said, you know, if if you weren't concerned that the market went up too fast, how come all of a sudden you're concerned it went down so fast? Right, and we just <laughs> hit our 11 year in March. It would have been the low March of 09 would have been the 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 low after the recession back in 08 09. So we're 11 years into it, and I, I read a, a quote the other day, which I jokingly sent to some of my friends and some of the people in this industry that said, uh, uh, we can't control the winds, but we can set the sails. And it's, it's a little bit, you know, it was, but I think about it, and it's That's like, all, all we try and do is control all the things we can't, which are interest rates, the stock market, uh, viruses, the government, uh, political. We, we can't control a lot of those things. But that's what we spend 90% of our time. And if we spend the right amount of time, you know, 90% of our time on the things we can control, everything will be fine. But but there's always going to be periods of panic and periods of uh, just uncertainty. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, kind of brings us to our guest today. So we have a, a, a very a, a good guest who I've had the opportunity to get to know over the last couple of months here. And her name is Tara Renzi. Nate, you know, do you know who Tara is? I do know Tara. I've seen some of her stuff online and um, through another colleague we work with, have been introduced to her. So I don't know her extremely well, yeah. but I have have watched uh, a lot of what she has to say, and it's it's pretty good, and it's uh, it's stuff that I think is about controlling what you can control and not focusing on the rest of it. Exactly right. One of her big taglines is "Be who you came to be," and that is you know where are you at in life, and are you really showing up, and are you really making a difference, and are, are you controlling the things you can control in your own personal life, not interest rate and market driven all that, but. She is a business owner, a, a mother, which is probably the most difficult job. She is a motivational speaker, a life coach. And we're going to talk also a little bit on 
uh, she got her uh, certification in emotional intelligence. Do you know anything about emotional intelligence? I can't say I'm an expert in emotional <laughs> intelligence, so I will go ahead and leave that to uh, to Tara, to the experts. Yeah, she will talk about it. I told her it sounds like something my wife accuses me of having a low emotional uh. intelligence, but but she's very good. Make sure you check her out on her Instagram feed. She is very inspiring. She is very good at making sure that you're maximizing and getting the most out of your life. So let's uh, you get out of here, Nate, and I'm going to bring her on the show. All right. Thank you very much. All right, Tara Renzi is our guest on the show today and couldn't be more excited about it. Tara, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast. Glad to have you. And and Tara, for those of you who don't know her, is a uh, blogger, a thought leader, um, you know, most importantly, I would say a wife and mother of you, two boys, right? I have two boys. That's right. Oh, I, I know how hard work. That's that's the real work. But then in your spare time, <laughs> you find a way to uh, do a lot of keynote speaking. I know, and you started and co-founded Authenticity, which is uh, a, a company that's designed to to help others find the life that that they want to desire, that they envision, that they may have left behind to kind of revitalize and get going forward. And I definitely want to spend some time on that, but. I also know you came from a, a corporate leadership role and were you know doing that for decades, I believe. What made you move from the corporate world into starting your own business? Yeah, gosh, that was such a transition going through that. You know, I loved the corporate world. I got out of college and I, and I wanted a, an opportunity that would allow me to travel and to meet people and to be in front of people. And I, I found myself in the sales arena, which I absolutely loved. I remember my dad being like, you really want to go into sales? <laughs> and I was like, I do. I know. Crazy, right? And so I ended up in a company called careerbuilder.com where I started out just as a sales, uh, a sales person and then I moved into executive sales and then I moved into sales leadership. And then my last gig there was actually running their sales training department and, and training their corporate leaders across the country. And I absolutely loved the job, but it was a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. And I was traveling, gosh, two to three nights a week. My husband has a great job. You know, we, we threw a couple of kids into the mix yep. and it just became um, really taxing on our lives, on our marriage. And we wanted one of us to be more present and at home. And so um, that was definitely Definitely me. I wanted to be at home. I wanted to be more present with the with the boys when they were little. There, were, you know, I had two under the age of two, mm-hmm. and it was just a lot. So that's when I when I kind of started, you know, flexing my entrepreneurial muscles. I actually started in the direct selling world with a company called Sell and Dot when they no one really knew who they were, and sure. I was one of their Francisco? founding leaders and kind of helped them build. Yeah, out of San Francisco, yeah. helped him build out the Midwest. And I always joke, and I was like, you know, never in a million years do I think I was going to bust my ass in college, climb the corporate ladder, and be like, you know, I think I'm going to stay home with kids now <laughs> and, and go this route. But it was it was a great um, starting point for me to really understand what it looks like to run a business and to be an entrepreneur. And I grew that business, you know, to a multi-million dollar um, annual business and had thousands of women on my team. And then after that, I was ready for the next level. And that's when I truly, you know, started doing my own thing, doing keynoting, workshopping. And then that led into co-founding this organization called Authenticity with Amanda Thompson, who lives in Denver. So we're co-founders, but we aren't in the same city. Got it. Okay, good. And you you talk about that journey and, you know, the travel is certainly one that probably hits home to a lot of people that listen to the show is, you know, when you're young, 
traveling for work sounds like the most glamorous thing ever, right? Then you start to do it and starts to put a little bit of grind. And, you know, you talk about now a lot of things about finding your purpose and what makes you fulfilled and happy and, you know, how, how do you change your attitude and how do you focus and get, you know, find yourself again? Did you go through kind of a personal journey on that as well? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I always joke because people are like, you No, you were a hot mess. I'm like, oh, a hot mess. <laughs> behind the scenes, you know, I always say behind the scenes, we're all a mess, right? And yeah. everything looks so beautiful on Instagram and when we see people, but you know, it's hard to change and, and evolve. And that's really the foundation of my keynote and why I ventured out to say, hey, I've got to share this message with the world because I went through it myself. And I think especially as women, you know, going through that transition of working to being a mom and how do we combine both and how do we continue to reinvent ourselves is really difficult. And it was my grandmother left a note. She was really a really inspirational, uh, pivotal person in my life. And she died before my second son was born, right before he was born. And she left a note and she signed it, be who you came to be. Mm -hmm. This idea that, you know, these two little guys are predestined to do something extraordinary with their life, but they have to harness their authenticity and lean into that. And I don't know why, why as adults that we get to this point of time in our lives, and I don't know if it's after college, after we've worked for a little bit that we think, oh, maybe I should have arrived by now. Mm -hmm. And so often the person that we are isn't who we thought we would be, or maybe we thought we'd be further, or maybe we thought we'd be doing something different. But ultimately, you know, we're never going to arrive and we have to continue to be who we came to be, not who we always were Mm -hmm. and to reinvent ourselves and to take risks and to lean in and know that it's okay to change and we should be. And that is, that's what this is all about is that permission slip to um, keep growing. And I I think that's a real interesting point too, is you, you chase the bar, whatever that bar is set when you're 24 years old or whatever it may be. And it's not that you don't hit the bar, it's you keep moving it on yourself. And so if you're looking for whatever that result is, it's, it's hard to find, especially if I think, you know, to, to some of what your points are, if it's a tangible result, a dollar amount, a house, a car, a whatever it may be, like that bar never stops moving. And so I know one of the things that, that you talk about is, how do you find your purpose? What what do you mean by that when you talk about that? Or where do people lose their purpose or why do they never find it? You know, I think we you hear a lot of people talking about finding their purpose and really doing what they love. But, you know, I don't think, first off, I don't believe personally that we have one purpose. I mean, I think I have multiple purposes. I think, you know, my purpose in on earth is to be a mom, to be a great wife, to be um, a thought leader and inspire other women to, to do the same. But I think that if you're looking for your purpose or you're confused with what you should be doing, I always say, start thinking about what is truly fulfilling in your life and not necessarily what's easy because the the easy things are um, not always the most fulfilling things. I mean, I've been married for gosh, 19 years in March. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that (laughs) that has not always been easy. Um, (laughs) We've had good times and bad times. Right. And sometimes I wake up and I'm like, who are you? Why did I marry you? And then by the time I go to bed, I'm like, God, I hit the jackpot with this one, (laughs) but it's fulfilling, right? It's really fulfilling, you know, fulfilling things required us to be tenacious and to be patient and to be strong and forgiving and all those things. And, and if, if you think about what fulfills you most in life, the, that is where your purpose will lie. Mm-hmm. Those things that, that you love and drive you and sometimes drive you crazy, but they're the things that matter most. And you use the word fulfillment there. And I've, 
in the talks I've seen before, you talk about understanding fulfillment versus happiness and why fulfillment's a, a better gauge or a driver of success and purpose. What is the difference between fulfillment and happiness? Because you, you, you hit on an interesting bullet there that a lot of people assume those are the same things. Yeah. You know, happiness ultimately is an emotion. It's, uh, and it's derived from things that happen in our lives that bring us a lot of joy. So here's a really, an easy example is, you know, happiness is getting a promotion at work. Fulfillment is the fact that you earned it. You know, you showed up, you worked hard, you put in the time and, um, you, you earned it. So the outcome is feeling really happy about it, but fulfillment is, that you earned it. And the, the cool thing about fulfillment is that it's sustainable. Like you're, no one can ever take that away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, in your ups and downs of life, when times are hard and you know, you taught, I, my mom's a, another good example of she's a breast cancer survivor. Um, she totally beat breast cancer in 2019. And although that was one of the hardest times of her life when maybe she wasn't really happy, it was, it was also one of the most fulfilling times of her life because she found her own strength. She had this amazing support community of people that lifted her and loved her. And so it's just a really fine line. And, you know, I talk to women all the time and they're like, I just want to be happy. I want to be happy. I'm like, Hey, we all want to be happy. (laughs) But if you want the secret to happiness, you've got to start focusing on being fulfilled because when you're doing fulfilling things, that is the baseline to create those epic moments of happiness and success. Right. Almost like happiness is the outcome of it. And fulfillment is kind of the journey that you, you take through it to, to get there. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're, when you're looking at, you know, obviously being busy and you, you talk I mean, almost one of the best ways to, to certainly lose your purpose, you just get stuck in the daily grind of work or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And it's so easy if, if you enjoy what you're doing and which, which I do, which a lot of my colleagues and coworkers certainly do, it's easy to get caught up in that grind and not lose your purpose, but you certainly, one thing you talk about is balance. And I know that's a cliche, you know, cliche thing, a work-life balance. You hear that all the time. Work being is such a big part of your life that I don't even know if they're two different things of work-life balance, but I mean, it's, it's all one, but you talk about how it's impossible and unnecessary to achieve balance. What do you mean by that? That's a very uncommon statement. Mm-hmm. Well, it is impossible because things, first of all, I, I think balance comes down to that we start measuring things like on weight. You think of a scale and if things are balanced, they're equal. But, you know, just do you have more than one? Do you have kids? I got three of them. <laughs> You've got three. So, yeah. you know, you understand that, like, you can love them all differently, but it doesn't have to, but it's different. Like each love is different and Mm -hmm. same with work and same with life and same with home. It's just a different thing in your life. And when we actually focus on, if you can stay focused on what's fulfilling, the the need for balance changes because the time doesn't have to compete. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know my husband works really long hours and, but when he's home, he's really dialed in And he does a lot of extra things with the boys when he's home. And I guarantee you, he'd love to just be, you know, hanging out, watching some sports and maybe having a beer. Right. But instead he'll dial in for 30 minutes and go throw a football or something. And that 30 minutes is worth more than if he would have been home for five hours. Right. And so we get confused on what does balance really mean? But it really means about, are you fulfilled in your family? Are you fulfilled in your work? And we just don't need to have that equality of time mm-hmm. 
because it's, it's not created equal. And, and the other thing along with that is, you know, a lot of times it comes down to when people have little kids, like we don't really find people feeling like they're not balanced before they have children. And I will tell you that, you know, your kids love you for who you are. They love to see their parents work. Um, if they have a mom that stays inside the house, they love their mom for who she is. And um, ultimately it comes down to, you know, us comparing ourselves to others, which is how we oftentimes feel out of balance. Mm -hmm. But the other thing with balance is just know that there's going to be times where you're going to be, you know, going at a hundred miles an hour because that is the nature of your job and what it takes. And then there's going to be times where you get to slow down. And if you just understand that there's different paces of life and try to embrace that and just go with that flow, um, it gives yourself a little bit of that freedom to not have to feel like, you have to be dialed in equally to all these different parts of your life all the time. Sure. And I, I agree with that. I mean, the, the, the work portion of it, I mean, we work long hours too here. And I think everybody really does. And you spend so much time with people at work that they become a major part of your life as you get older. And so in, in my mind, if you're not happy with your work life balance, is there something that, you know, you want to do less of one and more of the other, whatever it may be, is there something wrong with the other one that you're avoiding it? Maybe you have lost your purpose in that area or you're not being fulfilled in one of those two areas where you lean harder towards the other one. So I do think if you can find purpose and fulfillment in what you're doing both, you know, on and off the field, you certainly uh, be easier to achieve that balance, which if you find the happiness in it, you really don't need a balance in it. So I think that's a very right. good, very good well, point to distinguish. It comes down, yeah. And it comes down to maybe setting a boundary you know, a lot of times we feel out of balance if we don't have hard boundaries on things that we say no to, things that we say yes to, and we can find ourselves just really kind of living in that unfulfilled because we're doing things that we don't want to do. Right. And more than anything, that's usually what causes us to feel out of flax, out of balance. Right. Yeah. It's not you're looking for something you like, you're trying to avoid something you dislike. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I know you talk to a lot of business owners and obviously all these things of, you know, people who have, they're not, they're not struggling. Not everybody is, oh my God, I'm just, you know, a ship lost at sea and I'm not fulfilled. I'm not happy. Some of them, and this one can be even a little more dangerous, is you are doing okay. Your business is going all right. You're fulfilled enough, but you're stuck in your comfort zone, and it's been going okay for a lot of years, yet you know you're capable of something better, that next level in business. How do people get out of that comfort zone? So one of the things I think is really important, and I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people who thinks you have to be climbing Mount Everest all the time. I think that we can get into really great areas of flow in our life and just feel really good about where we're at. But I always say when that comfort turns to complacency is kind of the, that should be the light bulb of like, whoa, that comfort zone turned into complacency. And instead of even staying level or slowly moving up, we start following ourselves moving back. We start maybe do feeling like, oh, this, this isn't working anymore. And so I think you really have to just be able to do a really, really good job of self-assessing and saying, you know, what am I doing well? Where do I need to work? What is limiting me? Where are my opportunities to lean in? And for a lot of people, that's really hard to self-assess because it requires you not to punch holes in your own strategy, Mm -hmm. but ultimately that's what you have to do. But the only way that you can do that is, um, the the reason it's important to do that is so that you can self-actualize and really see your full potential Mm -hmm. and what you're capable of when you get into those um, areas where you need to, you know, lean in a little bit more. 
Sure. And I always know getting out of your own comfort zone usually requires some type of change and people are generally not, uh, not overly comfortable with change. And we use the phrase around here, change is not fun, but it's often profitable. But as it's still uh, saying, you're going to change one thing, but obviously changing is another. And you, you, you right. also bring well, it's, up. It's hard. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say change is hard because it's usually when we have to, we do, it is required us to get out of our comfort zone and move and grow. But I always see those times when our hardest, it's because you're up leveling. And when you're struggling, whether it be emotionally or personally or professionally, it means that you're growing and changing and something's happening. And although that sucks a lot of times because it's hard to go through those times, we, we often always find ourselves in an up level at the end of it. And we've, um, we're, we're a better version of ourselves when we come out of it. Totally agreed. It's, uh, it's just <laughs> the journey doesn't always seem so, so, uh, so worth it at the time. But as you look back on it, it obviously is a, a good thing. I think you learn a lot about yourself when you go to change things. I also think it takes a certain point in life where you're willing to admit what you're good at and what you're not good at and focus on the things you're good at and, and delegate or hire others who have a skill set somewhere where yours don't lie. The, the one on, you, you mentioned comparisons and how do you, how your, your talk I saw was eliminating unrealistic expectations that are created through these comparisons. Talk a little bit about that. Cause I think comparisons are the death of a lot of people. Well, it's hard, especially in the internet social media driven world where we see everybody's highlight reels. We see the good things and we find ourselves um, a lot of times asking ourselves, am I enough? Should I be doing more? Should I be a different mom? Should I be in a different career? Should I, you know, we compare ourselves to our colleagues. We compare ourselves to, you know, other people within our organization, other people within our communities. And it's just so unnecessary because I always say, if you're comparing yourself to someone and you feel great, or you're comparing yourself against someone and you feel terrible, it's ultimately worthless because all you're doing is, is benchmarking yourself on someone else and who they came to be and who you came to be are totally different people. Mm -hmm. And most of the time we don't know what's going on behind the scenes in other people's lives. You know, we're comparing, we're pedestaling one thing about that person and, you know, maybe not comparing things. I think, you know, career tracks are the perfect example of, you know, I look at people when I left the corporate world who went on and really kept climbing that ladder and they got executive level and then they got C-level and I saw them earning trips and doing all the stuff. And here I was back at home raising kids, kind of recreating myself. <laughs> and I found myself comparing, you know, to them and being like, okay, well, I just, you know, changed my 50th, fifth diaper of the day. <laughs> I have, well, I have like, spit oh, up yeah, constantly on the back of my like, right yeah, shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know those days well. Very comparison because, uh, yeah, that's not who I wanted to be anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I made a, a decision that that's not who I was and that I was ready for change. But oftentimes comparison is because we're wrapped up in some sort of something we're nostalgic about of maybe who we were, or where we were at in a, a part of our lives or what we thought we would be. And the best thing you can d do is just... <clears throat> really focus on you and say, Hey, what do I need to do to, you know, unlock higher levels of fulfillment and happiness in my life and comparing yourself to someone else isn't going to do you any good. Now you might be able to find some things of interest. Like, why am I comparing? Like, what is it that, that this person is making me think about? Mm -hmm. um, but if it makes you feel bad or good, that's super unnecessary and it is a waste of time and it, and it creates unrealistic expectations because maybe it's not even what you want. Right. 
<clears throat> and that is one thing that that we've talked about before, you know, certainly on on other talks that I've given before is finding your own definition of happiness is it's not there is no defined thing. And you look at what somebody has achieved, like you're saying on the highlight reel or whatever their title is or whatever car they drive, whatever it is, what what was the sacrifice to get there? And be honest with yourself of do you really want that sacrifice, be it time, be it paths that you took, be it things that you traded, whatever it may be is it's okay to define your own definition of happiness. It doesn't have to be the, you know, you don't have to be an influencer on Instagram to, to make sure to, to check all those boxes. It's, it's okay to figure out what, what is really important to you. One of the things, one of the things that I'm a huge fan of, and you, you use the term bucket list. I'm a big experience person. I like to do things that you, normally wouldn't get a chance to do or, or, you know, things that are life experiences, not like a good example. Uh, a couple of my buddies asked me about a year ago, they said, we're going to hike to the bottom of the grand Canyon and back. And I'm not a huge hiker. I'm not in, I'm not a, let's just say I'm not a specimen of physical shape, but like that was an experience <laughs> that I knew if I didn't do it, I'd never do it. And it was just for the experience of that I went and you talk about personal development bucket list. Talk about that for a second. What what types of things do people put on a personal development bucket list? I think it's really about investing in you, you know, continuing to say, hey, I'm worth it. I deserve to, you know, read that. I need. I deserve to give myself an hour to read a book every day, um, to read the newspaper, to take that class, to go get that certification, um, you know, to put in the time that it takes to, to get in shape to whatever, work on yourself and work on, on, on who it is. And, you know, we get older and we stop doing that, whether it be a bucket list of fun experiences that we want to have mm-hmm. or really, you know, saying, Hey, I'm going to invest in myself because I want to do this. You know, when I worked, I had a brilliant leader and uh, when I was at careerbuilder.com, his name's Matt Ferguson, and he was just such an awesome leader. And he actually said like, Hey, for the first hour that you're in the office every day, I just want you to read the newspaper or read a book. Really? Like that's it. <laughs> but that was that permission slip, right? That so yeah. many people don't feel like they have time to, to invest in their mind. And, you know, the minute we stop learning is the minute we stop growing and up leveling. And, and it is hard because it takes, you know, last week I went finally and got the certification that I've been wanting and it required me to be out of the house for a week and pay thousands of dollars to get it and invest <laughs> the time and sit in the classroom. But man, Would have been easier not it. to. And so, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we just, you have to invest in yourself. No one cares more about your goals and your development than you do. And you just have to make time for it. And you can carve out a little bit of time and continue to become a better person every day by doing the things that matter. Agreed. And it's, you know, people say they don't have the time for this or don't have the time for that. If it's important, you make the time. It's just about making that thing important. That's right. And the certification you're talking about, this is the last question that I have for you because I'm just kind of fascinated by this. Tell us about that certification and more importantly, what it is and what it means or where it applies in life. Yeah. So when I was 28 years old, I was sitting in a conference and this man got on stage and he started talking about emotional intelligence and it just really struck a chord with me. And so I've been researching it and talking about it ultimately be who you came to be my keynote is all grounded in emotional intelligence and my 
co-founder, Amanda Thompson of Authenticity and I, we started creating a keynote and workshop called Unstuck. And the more we, and it was about how do you get and stay unstuck in life, continue to level up. And the more and more we were writing it, it was just, I was like, all of this is, this is all emotional intelligence. So how can we actually get certified so that we're quote unquote experts, right? That people can be like, they are certified. They are practitioners. So we did go and get the emotional intelligence certification so that we can, you know, talk about it from not only what it is, but also have the scientific background on the studies that have been done, the assessments that are out there. And ultimately emotional intelligence is just those emotional and social skills that establish how we perceive the world, how we express ourselves, um, how we maintain relationships, how we cope with challenges, how we solve problems, um, how we show up. Right. And when we're in tune with ourselves and able to, to understand what we're thinking and able to understand if we're impulsive or if we're over flexible or if we're not empathetic enough or we're overly assertive, all these things can be, the needle can be moved over time to really unlock more meaningful relationships and higher levels of success, um, especially, I believe, in the sales and leadership arena. Is it something? But, you know, it was really interesting when I was at this event or at this event, at this training. I mean, we there was everyone there from people from the um, Federal Bureau of Investigation sure. to Fortune 500 companies to school districts. I mean, it is where it's at right now and really helping people level up and also how to understand it. We've got more generations of um, professionals in the workforce now than ever. Right. And everything from, you know, boomers to Gen X um, to millennials. And if you are emotionally intelligent enough to understand how other people communicate, it really helps bridge those generational gaps to create more harmony within those relationships. And is that something that you can if whatever my emotional intelligence is, is something that I can change or is it more so one of those things that just understand who you are and then work around that to make sure that you're communicating better with others of, can you change it or are you this way? So adapt this way or look at these things. Is that question? You absolutely can raise your emotional intelligence. Yeah, you can raise it. So the, the really cool thing about the MHS, assessments that we that we give is that it, it benchmarks you basically against the population. Um, thousands of people have taken it and you can find out kind of where you fall in the spectrum, I guess, of, of EQ. And the thing is, ultimately, it doesn't matter where you're at. It matters that you want to move the needle on mm. yourself and say, hey, because there might be times where that level of EQ might work for you. You know, might you might be able to show up differently at home than you do at work, and and that's okay. Sure. But really understanding, you know, for me, one of the one of the things that I measured really high in was flexibility, and to the point where it's actually detrimental. I mean, I'm too flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably need to set more guide, you know, more boundaries and borders, and and stand my ground a little bit more when there's something I really want. So really you can move the needle, but you have to be um, intuitive enough to get in tune and to also be able to self-assess to say, okay, yeah, that here's a time where I'm overly assertive and not empathetic. And so everyone I work with just thinks I'm a jerk. (laughs) And so how do you, you know, I mean, it happens. Like you can't, if you want to be assertive, you're also going to have to learn how to be empathetic. Right. Um, So how do the, how do the different spectrums work? The elements work together 
And it is really cool. You know, you can raise it as long as you're willing to be in touch with it. And it's something you have to continue to work at. I say it's kind of like, it's like getting mentally fit. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you go to the gym and you can get in shape, but then if you stop working out, it falls away. Same with emotional intelligence, something you have to keep top of mind. Got it. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And I just thought it's, it's interesting in emotional intelligence. It sounds like something my wife accused me of having low emotional intelligence at home or something, but you know, it, it, <laughs> she would definitely say that. Maybe it's just, in, maybe it's insensitive. Like, Next time I'm afraid to. Like, you know what? You're wrong. <laughs> I'm afraid I to. This assessment and I'm, I'm very qualified. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even bringing that topic up with her, but, but it is, you know, it's, it's the self-awareness and where are you at? And a lot of these things are of, you know, it, you just have to be, it's not, not what happens around you it's you who you have to deal with and it's your your fulfillment it's your the purpose your that we make correct you had a really good uh, video the other day and i was in a similar spot i don't remember why i was watching i think it was on instagram and you were headed to the gym and you said i haven't had the best day today i'm about to roll into this gym and i can either walk in here with you know basically slough it off or i can go in here and get it and i'm going to decide how i show up today and i thought you know what it is a decision and it's just being self-aware that I'm not uh, feeling I, I need to step up a little bit right now, change my attitude and, and go get this. Yeah, that's what emotional, it's the choices that we make by understanding how we're feeling and, you know, impulse control is the easiest one to be like, okay, I really want that, but you know what? I, <laughs> I, I understand I'm impulsive and I'm going to wait. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to uh, go to bed before I hit send on that all caps email. Exactly. Exactly. No, good. Well, well, I definitely appreciate the time. And anybody who's listening who wants to learn more about Tara, certainly check out her website. It's tararenzi.com. We'll certainly put a link when we post up the show here. Uh, following her on Instagram, you do a really good job of giving people kind of daily motivation. And, and uh, I found it quite entertaining. And I believe your flight home from somewhere the other day was was chuckling about that so we definitely appreciate your inspiration you, so you'll get all the behind the scenes and it's exactly. not always pretty you know we'll, we'll do funny stuff and i try to keep it real so. yeah well that that's um, you just, do I, and and be my authentic self so what you see is what you get well, that is all we can ask for and we definitely appreciate your time so follow tara on instagram certainly visit her website if you're ever looking for a keynote speaker she does a fantastic job and tara we definitely appreciate your time today hey thanks for having me thanks <laughs>